everyone, and welcome to the Forecast Fest. I'm Kate Baldwin, here with my colleagues John Avalon. Hola. <laughs> and I'm scared. Harry ended. Howdy, everybody. Wow. What? That was what very just different. Happened? I like that. You know much. what? I tried to. Did you go to like a barbecue joint last <laughs> night? Like you're all like. <laughs> you know, I was hanging out with Kiki Friedman. No. Um, Kiki Friedman is a great American. He is a great American. Uh, no, I uh, just decided to switch things up because, you know. You look like you just woke up. Did you? I, I haven't just woken up. I will say I'm in desperate need of a haircut. Oh, is that what I'm that what I'm looking at right now? Uh, I think that's true. It's not a dead squirrel. It could be a hat in Russia. Um, it's... I'd probably spend top dollar, <laughs> top dollar for that. I actually have a hat, like a very like Russian-esque hat, and it is black that I'm going to bring in. I'm going to wear it, and you're all going to be like, hey, Harry. Oh, it's oh, Kate. Oh, wait. That's how oh, that's no. going to go. You know what? Save that for Halloween or save that for Purim. Um, <laughs> I will. Oh, I will. Uh, but no, I I think that uh, you're going to take this even further. Let's do this. I, I, no, I I think I'm a little uh, stressed out, and when I'm stressed out, I uh, have hair that your Duke hair is the indicator of stress. That is correct. That's an interesting. I respect thing to that. Know. I, like I respect that. that. Right. Mine too. Actually, not. <laughs> <laughs> My hair doesn't move. Anyway, you guys want to talk about polling or fashion? Ah, Anyone? Anyone? Politics. Politics. Whatever. Space. Might as well. Harry's quit already. Like today, it's going to be you and me, Avalon. We're going to carry this. this one. I got this. Buckle up, folks. On Tuesday, six Democratic candidates gathered in Des Moines for the final primary debate before the caucuses. On, you should all know this. Put it on your calendars. Tattoo it on your forehead. It's ah! February 3rd. We're going to recap all of the highlights for you February from the 4th, debate. February 4th, that tattoo will suck, by the way. <laughs> it will be a quick doctor's visit for an emergency laser job. We're going to recap the highlights for you, including from the debate, not your tattoo job, including the memorable Warren versus Sanders moments that happened during and after the debate. Absent from the stage was Cory Booker, among others. But Cory Booker was the candidate who dropped out of the race just days before the debate. We're going to look at why Booker's campaign never really gained traction and what it might reveal about the kind of message that voters are responding to this cycle. And finally, with less than 20 days to go before Iowa, we've got new polls out from the Hawkeye State, and we're going to look back to previous election cycles and take a look at what history tells us to put these polls in context for you. Since there is clearly a lot to cover this week, we are going to skip the forecast. Oh, is that why you're mad? Oh, that explains a lot. It has something to do with that. I'm sorry. Interesting. How dare everybody. But you know I, what? It's, I'm looking forward to this debate recap. Let me just say. I can tell. He won't even wow. look me in the eye. He's no, that mad th- at me. that's how you can tell he's upset. That and, and the wallet seems the extra The wallet menacing. looks <laughs> as extra thick today. <laughs> okay, moving on. Tuesday's debate saw the new feud between it's strange to think there's a feud between them, but there is yeah. between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren spilling out on the stage, leading to one of the most memorable moments of the night. That moment was Warren making her case for after the controversy over what was said behind closed doors between the two of them in 2018, making her case why a woman has the best chance to beat Donald Trump. Let's play the moment. Bernie is my friend, and I am not here to try to fight with Bernie. But look, this question about whether or not a woman can be president has been raised, and it's time for us to attack it head on. Um, And I think the best way to talk about who can win is by looking at people's winning record. So can a woman beat Donald Trump? Look at the men on this stage. Collectively, they have lost 10 elections. (laughs) The only people on this stage who have won every single election that they've been in are the women, Amy and me. 
I see this moment and what you heard from Warren right there as Warren's closing argument to Iowa voters. I'll go out on a limb and say it. If it is, what does that mean? Just tell me you agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say I agree, but I'll take it in a slightly different direction. Look, obviously Warren's playing offense last night in the debate. Her best argument was her entire energy during the debate. She was the happy warrior on stage. She had the best debate by far. Um, I think it's not a stretch to say that this was her campaign doing a brushback pitch on Bernie, got him on defensive, and put the focus back on those two. I think she will benefit from last night's performance, not necessarily the the, the fight with Bernie, frankly. Um, I don't think uh, that— that like, That's the lingering thing that decides votes in Iowa. Like, where are we now? Yeah, like, and, 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 and Harry's got some data to back this up. But I don't think at the end of the day— Iowa voters, as pragmatic as they are in terms of focusing on who is best chance of beating Donald Trump, they're going to be persuaded by, can a woman win? But it's about electability, says Elizabeth Warren. Harry, why do you have issue with this? I just, oh boy, goodness gracious. You know, as a political, you ever watch Seinfeld, right? And there was that episode where um, every character wrapped into one. Brian Cranston, as the dentist, uh, decides to convert to uh, Judaism, and Jerry Seinfeld is concerned that he's converted to Judaism for the jokes. And (laughs) then he goes to the uh, priest and he says, are you, and this offends you as a Jew. And he says, no, it offends me as a comedian. This argument offended me as a political analyst. And let me explain to you why it offended me as a political analyst. How dare she conflate her electability record with that of Amy Klobuchar? Amy Klobuchar has won thrice in a swing state. Thrice! Has beaten the Democratic baseline by 10 points or more each of those three Senate runs. Elizabeth Warren has run twice for the United States Senate in Massachusetts, and each of those times she's underperformed the Democratic baseline in that state by double digits, including in 2018 when she only won by 24 percentage points, which I say only because it's Massachusetts and the Democrats who are running for the House combined won by 36 points. She underperformed how well Hillary Clinton did. And so, you know what? It may work as an electability argument on stage. To me, it's an electability argument that's really a fugazi. Okay, can, can I just that was the greatest platonic ideal of a Harry argument. It was fantastic. Beginning with the Seinfeld reference, the slow boil, use of the word thrice, <laughs> some really deep election data involving Democratic baselines. If and then ending with drop, Fugazi. If we could just, incredible. If we could just drop the mics, which we can't because they're on stands and everyone would be mad because it hurts your ears. Harry, Harry is deeply upset by this. You know what I will say, Harry, and mm. I would never question you, no. except I do every time. There you go. That I would argue that yes, Amy ma'am. Klobuchar, be it based in historical correct data or not, mm-hmm. is more than happy that that association was made on the stage sure. last night. Like, yeah. she's fine with it. Sure. I mean, she's look, cool with it. I mean, look. The, she's happy with it. The majority. She wants to be able to remember it. <laughs> she says, Iowa, do you hear Liz? Remember that. That's what she's saying. I'm like more electable Midwestern Liz Warren. <laughs> exactly. See, guys? Look, the clear majority of Democratic caucus goers in Iowa are going to be women. Uh, the clear majority of. How much of a majority? Uh, f- close to 60%, really? depending. Yeah. Interesting. Um, the same nationally in terms of Democratic primary voters. Uh, And you do know from, you know, let's say there was an Marist NPR poll from earlier this year, 
You know, 83 percent of Democrats per Maris said they'd be enthusiastic about about voting for a woman. So clearly they're trying to play off of that. Clearly she's trying to develop some sort of uh, gender divide that's going on there. But I I. I, 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 it just, I, it I'm doing the my thing mind. that my daughter does when she I mean, wants someone to call on her. Right I'm just now. saying, like, I would hope, if not implore everyone, move past this. Yeah. Obviously, people are okay with electing a woman to be president. I'm going to argue that this is not where the Democratic debate needs to be. I don't know why it is, despite my trying to fight with you. I don't know why the conversation is around can a woman be elected president? Because Bernie Sanders, his campaign at least, said that the day after this whole thing exploded, they had their best campaigning, they had their best fundraising day of the campaign. So it's fine for him. Well, People are backing money, up him. He has his hmm. base of support. But I think the obvious question is that if you're Elizabeth Warren and you are looking to try and separate yourself from Bernie Sanders and you're trying to perhaps change the status quo of Biden one, Sanders two – uh, nationally, particularly, than doing this type of thing. I can may see it. Look, you. I can definitely see that because I am going to venture to guess while they'll always call each other and watch, they'll say it more often now, which is that like subliminal, we're no longer friends. They'll be like, my friend, Elizabeth Warren, my friend, Bernie oh, Sanders. You're going to totally hear that. Um, because their friendship is over because that was this back and forth has been dirty. It uh-huh. has been not nice. Just take a look at that awkward moment after the debate. Which was stunning in that, look, you know, Bernie was was caught kind of unaware about this. And he kept making the point that Hillary Clinton correctly won, won the popular vote by 2.9 million votes. I will say that not that Hillary Clinton or her staff will say that Bernie Sanders helped their campaign <laughs> right. effort in winning. Despite you, Bernie, yeah, we won. as they won the popular <laughs> vote by almost three million. Uh, but when Elizabeth Warren came up and, and refused to shake his hand, uh, and, and Tom Steyer walked up and was like, oh, I, what did I just walk into? That was some great, you know, body language awkwardness. Um, I will say, though, that, that, you know, too much of, I think, the debate analysis has been focused on that issue and that moment. Um, Why do you think that is? Because because the press has a conflict bias. I will say there was a bit of malpractice in the debate last night. Two hours before the debate, you had brand new information sent over by Adam Schiff regarding the House impeachment inquiry, showing that the president's personal lawyer was trying to get a meeting with the president of Ukraine. And their notes saying that Biden was you know, they wanted him to investigate Biden and not a single Democratic candidate raised that. And, and that's malpractice. Or that's telling of the role that they think impeachment is not helping them when it comes to closing the deal. But just voters. from surfing the cycle, you know, it's like they, they got frozen. I think that last night was a first do no harm debate. Well, I think that's be, I think you couldn't you make the argument that's entirely what the debate was, because one of yeah. the, the big question going in was what we're just talking about, which was are they going to pick door number one or door number B? I love doing that. Um, <laughs> that train has sailed. Kate. <laughs> are they going? <laughs> that was good. Is it, are they going into fight or are they going into play nice? And, wh- and why do they choose one or the other strategy? It seems everyone chose door number B, which was playing nice, de-escalate. Why Fear is a question. Figure the Biden boom ring. Figure the Biden boom ring. <laughs> yes. Or is it because that's what – this goes to the whole – you can use Fugazi. This might be an pr- appropriate application of that game of how the Iowa caucuses are played. I don't want to piss off the supporters mm-hmm. of my competitor because I want them to I want them to get me in round two. Uh, look, 
You have four candidates, all of whom are surfacing around that 15% threshold, which is necessary in most individual caucus sites in order to get delegates. Second choices do matter. Um, and I think that you saw that to a large degree on the stage on Tuesday night, which was they did not want to perturb the supporters of the other candidates because they want to be able to pick up some votes in some different places. Let me just note as well to um, Mr. Avalon, um, recent Iowa caucus poll conducted in part um, or sponsored in part by CNN, also the Des Moines Register and Mediacom. We asked about a slew of different issues. Um, uh, we're interested in the issues that affect which candidate you will support. For each of the following, please tell me if it's extremely important, just important, or not that important as you evaluate the candidates. We asked impeachment. Do you want to guess where that ranked on that list? I'll give you a clue. It was dead last in terms of extremely important <laughs> at just 25 percent. I don't think that's, that's a clue. Not a that's clue. not a clue. But there you go. Um, no, my point's actually different. It's not about impeachment. It's about surfing the cycle intelligently. It's about updating your information so you can combine both with your soundbite you and your, take your moral yeah, indignation about Donald Trump and make it relevant. I hear that. I hear that. I don't. I definitely don't fault that that wasn't a question asked of them. No, no, no. But to your they point, offered they could have offered. They yes. could have offered it up to appropriately wrap it into a thirty-second answer Correct. with a bow on top. Okay, um, we're going to take a short break, friends. When we get back, the latest polling out of Iowa has conflicting data about which candidate is in the lead. We're going to break it down for you, and then as the Democratic field continues to winnow, we're going to discuss if the latest candidate to drop out is confirmation that Democratic primary voters are looking for a fighter not a uniter. That's up next. We have two new Iowa polls, a Monmouth University poll and a CNN Des Moines Register Mediacom poll, both showing essentially a four-way tie at the top of the Democratic primary field. Although which candidate holds that top spot is different depending on the poll. Harry can tell us if that matters. So let's dive into it. Go. Uh, all right. Look, we'll take a look at the CNN poll first and the top four there, uh, the CNN Des Moines Register Mediacom poll. Uh, Senator Bernie Sanders at 20 percent. Uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren at 17 percent, uh, former Mayor Pete Buttigieg at 16 percent, and the former vice president at 15 percent. Um, close race. Clear. Top four there. None of them really with a significant lead over any of the others well within the margin of error. Take a look at this Monmouth University poll, however, that came out just a little bit afterwards. This poll had a different person with the highest vote percentage. Uh, former Vice President Joe Biden, 24 percent. Senator Bernie Sanders, 18 percent. Former Mayor Pete Buttigieg at 17 percent and the senator from Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren, at 15 percent. In both of those polls, no other candidate was above 8 percent. And in both cases, Amy Klobuchar was running in fifth. Does it matter mm. who's on top at this point, just looking at it, or is it all about the trend? I mean, I, no. I, I, I No to which? No. <laughs> no, I do believe it matters. That who is – if you know that one candidate's at to, on the top versus another, then that candidate does have a slightly greater chance of winning the Iowa caucuses or better chance of winning the Iowa caucuses than the other. But it's really not all that important. But, but, but hold on. 
Those two things are totally contradictory, right? I mean, if there's a, say there's a 2.5, I don't know what the percent of margin of error is. You probably do. But if, if, if the top four are all within the margin of error, let's say, but everyone declares that Bernie Sanders is now in poll position, and that psychologically makes Bernie Sanders people think that he's likely to win, so people cluster towards a winner, then is that misreporting effectively? Uh, uh, this is it a is, four-way tie rather than – This is actually a great question. And Oh, thanks, man. I said it first. But I said it differently. We're all together kumbaya. <laughs> I went on the air on Friday night, and the way that we defined our CNN poll was that there was no clear leader, that any of those top four were in a top tier together. And I received a lot of you-know-what from certain people in social media because how stuff. dare I – stuff. How dare I say that Bernie Sanders was not the – you know, he's not how – is, how is there no clear leader? He has the highest percentage in the poll. But the fact is with the margin of error plus or minus four percentage points um, and especially knowing that um, that applies to the individual candidates, not just the margin. And obviously there are other types of errors that are potentially possible. That is really a, a tight, tight race and that's why we called it no clear leader. And that is why yesterday I say in Iowa at this point there is no clear leader. And in contrast to that same poll, Des Moines Register, their headline was all about pumping up Bernie being on top. And Mm -hmm. I heard from folks in Iowa who were pissed off about that for the very reason that Harry didn't do that. I mean, if I have to say this one more time, message 250,000, stop listening to Twitter. Like, stop. This is why I don't listen to Twitter, but I I Particularly on the subject of Bernie Sanders. Correct. You know, and that's actually something we found out from this poll, which was that Joe Biden's support was— Uh, 10 points lower among those who said they were regular Twitter users than among those who said that they weren't. And that's a pretty significant difference, especially in a field in which we have such a tight, tight race. That is So what I've definitely started to hear from politicos on the ground in Iowa is that they're hearing from voters that their first and second choice is like Biden and Sanders. How is that possible? It's donkey nonsense. Are you? Sh- but, but what? I know the, that there happens, has to be psychology still, to it. No, but this is like remember, like you know, when we first started this out, and I'd be like, Sanders has thirty percent support among self-described moderates. Harry's answer is ideology doesn't matter that much. But I mean, if, if it's literally, if if your top choices are are Biden and Sanders, then you're a name ID voter, not a anything else voter. Or you're that, a I want to beat Donald Trump voter. And you think these two are the best two chances and you are, just as Harry said, not an ideological voter. There is no way that – if you're thinking something resembling logic, you can't think that both Biden and Bernie Sanders – are both voting more is likely often to beat. not logical. Correct. Voting is. Bad. I agree. It, it's an emotional. It's an emotional thing for folks. But typically, you got a theory of the case, right? You got to play up the base. Someone ideological, get the base fired up. You're a Corbynista, a Bernie Sanders person, or you believe you need to win over swing voters in swing states, and you need to make sure you win back folks who voted for Obama, Biden in the past, that voted for Trump. You can't. Those two things are are opposite. But still, might be happening. Okay, what does history say? So if people are polling where they are now. So I what took a look say? at uh, caucuses since 2000, both the Democratic and Republican <clears throat> side. I looked at the polling average of the person who ended up winning the Iowa caucuses, allocating undecideds proportionally, and the result. And the median difference between the two, the polling average and the result at this point for all those different winners, was six points of where they were polling at this point and what the result was. So that, to me, is an indication that when you you know you look at these two polls and you see that if you were to average them – that it's well within, you know, a few percentage points that history tells you 
that any one of these candidates can logically win. So it's not just about margins of error. It's also about the fact that these campaigns can slightly shift or sometimes majorly shift. You know, in 2004, for example, John Kerry, even when you were allocating the undecideds, was polling at 17 percent and they ended up getting 37 percent of the vote. And that was a field like this one that had mm-hmm. basically is, four candidates on top. Which is why more and more, more and more people are saying there is a real chance that you come out of these early states and you've got four leaders. Yeah, still. You, you got a shotgun. You got a shotgun approach. It, but, you know, I want to reinforce to people what, what they, they should know and, and should definitely know by the time we're into this. Iowa caucus is not like any of the others. The way the decisions are made are not who are you going to vote for. It's partly a process of persuading this case with persuasion. So what interests me is who are people's second choice? Who are they firmly supporting? Um, because that's the only thing that can account for a John Kerry coming out of relatively nowhere in, in, in 04. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's what's interesting to me is that, you know, you still you only have 43 percent of folks who say they're firmly decided, um, uh, according to the Monmouth University. And, um, and, and there, there's still a lot, of, a lot of wiggle room that, that this could. It ain't over yet, folks. Far. It really, far from. really isn't. OK, can we switch gears? If you well, wish. Do you really do you have something else? No, I, you know, I, I'm really interested in kind of – I understand Biden's and, and, and Buttigieg's voters can be somewhat fungible. I don't see how Bernie to Biden works in a caucus. I have situation. explained this to you and you are not receptive to new information. I just explained <laughs> this to you. I just explained this. They want to be Donald Trump. They see those two that does not as the two more formidable likely candidates to win the primary. So they want to be on board with it. Boom. Case closed. Moving on. Makes Glad I'm sense. here. Jail away. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, switching gears. After after failing to qualify for this uh, week's debate, Cory Booker announced it's not uh, only because of not making the debate stage that he is ending his campaign. In an email to supporters, he wrote this in part. He wrote, "It was a difficult decision to make, but I got into this race to win, and I always said I wouldn't continue if there was no longer a path to victory." John, you, I, I told you, I, the announcement came at the top of my show this week, and I thought of you the moment that it happened. Not only do I think of you all the time, Aww. but you have talked often yes. about it has been like a fundamental mystery in your mind of <clears throat> the Cory Booker candidacy um, and what a good retail politician it is, he is and how it hasn't translated. I mean, what do you think? It, look, this is this remains sort of one of the mysteries of the cycle, and clearly it just wasn't his time. I do think there are a number of factors at play, one of which is I think the press corps has known him for too long. And other voters don't know him well enough. Well, that's interesting. Um, uh, but but I don't think that accounts for most of it. Fundamentally, Cory Booker is a uniter, not a divider. He talks about you know the beloved community, and and he, he talks about love a lot, and he's very earnest. Um, some folks to, to think to a fault. So it's fascinating to me that the number one hit on him is somehow that he's inauthentic, and I think that's kind of a, a loaded term. Um, but I, I do think if you're looking for a clear contrast to Donald Trump. It's hard to find a clearer one than Cory Booker, and he had the second highest number of endorsements in the entire group. I always hate it when a candidate who's uh, doesn't has gone this far and doesn't at least give it a try in the first couple of primaries, even if you're not likely to win. I mean, there are a handful of candidates who got no prayer in hell and they're still in the race um, because you want to give it the 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 the, the proof of concept. Um, at first, though, I thought you know maybe it is because he refused 
to, to go negative enough. He didn't draw enough attention to himself in a negative way that we, we cover the car crash. Um, and that unifying message just wasn't breaking through. But there, there's, a, there's an X factor that doesn't account for that, and that's the rise of Pete Buttigieg, a far more anonymous mayor, fairly inclusive centrist message, much less good, frankly, retail politician in order. Um, and Buttigieg has done brilliantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Booker just wasn't able to convert. I don't think it's the last we've heard of Cory Booker. Um, and I think you know, Rebecca Buck wrote a beautiful sort of Twitter thread about covering him for the last year. And it's one of the rare things. And I'll just say folks should go back and look at it. You know, familiarity sometimes breeds contempt, particularly on the campaign trail if you've been covering someone for a long time. And, and she had remarkable things to say about him as a person. She walked away liking him more at the end of this period. Uh, and that's rare. Yeah. That's rare. Where do do his supporters go somewhere? Is that something to – is that a conversation that's, I that's mean, worth having? I we, mean we, we – there's so few of them. Yeah. Um, I will say Tom Alanowski, who is a representative from New Jersey, flipped a district in 2018, uh, has decided to endorse Biden. Um, in terms of the actual voters, uh, the polling that I've seen is tend to suggest they are going to split fairly proportionally to yeah. how everyone else is sort of going. Uh, you know, to hit on a few little things, you know, politics is a funny thing. Politics is about timing. Um, and, you know, Judge sort of got in, had one of those first town halls on CNN, sort of exploded from there, was able to create a moment. And then, you know, that helped build upon it. And Cory Booker just simply put never got that. Uh, and, you know, I think oftentimes, though, it's difficult to exactly distill why certain people rise and certain people fall. And Booker's an interesting person insofar as John was pointing out that he's the type of guy when the first shots you saw of him, maybe it was uh, in Street Fight, the documentary made about his first mayoral run in Newark, you go, oh, that's a guy who's going to run for president someday. And that's exactly what happened. But it turns out that, you know, 17, 18 years after that um, Newark mayoral race in 2002, it was a presidential run that simply didn't go anywhere. And this also gets to – I had a conversation about this on the show um, this week that I think is is really important and must be discussed or you're missing a whole part of this conversation, what the ending of his candidacy means. And you're now looking at the most diverse field ever in a primary, mm-hmm. now looking as white as most other primary fields that we've seen um, in the course of history. And what that means that Cory Booker, Kamala Harris didn't connect, didn't did not connect with non-white voters. I had Corey's and Kamala's press secretaries on. And they made a really interesting argument that I don't think we've thought of it this way. Both of them, understandably, they have a bias. They, these are their campaigns. They sure. argue that it's not that they they ran a faulty campaign, didn't reach out to voters enough. That's not there. They say we ran good campaigns. Rather, they admit they could not cut into, did not account for the strong relationship that Joe Biden has with non-white voters. Mm -hmm. And so it's not how bad, you know, how bad their campaign was. It was how strong their relationship is that Joe Biden already has that was already baked in that people, those campaigns didn't account for. Yeah. I I, I thought was interesting. Yeah. And look, I think there clearly is a a, a Obama uh, halo effect on Biden that has benefited him with the African-American community. And it is striking that despite good organizations and good campaigns, um, that those two couldn't 
eat into Biden's overwhelming support among the African-American community. Harris gets out. I think she obviously has her eye on, on, a, on a VP possibility. Booker may as well, um, as, he, as he was on a short list uh, for Hillary Clinton by some accounts. Um, I think there are a lot of factors, and that's one of them, and that I think speaks to why Biden has been been pretty Teflon over the course of the cycle. And I'll, I'll just I'm, I'm going to write a column about this at some point, but for, you know, the diversity in our politics is overwhelmingly on the Democratic side. Yeah. Um, the composition of the primary electorate didn't change. These are the candidates who have made it to the top uh, at, at the end. And for as much as the right likes to hate on perceptions of identity politics dominating the Democratic Party, it's striking to me that this primary has not followed identity politics lines. Biden overwhelmingly has cleaned up among African-American voters, not the three African-American candidates who've been in the race. Um, there might the youngest, not be an overarching message. I just think it's something that everyone benefits from having a conversation about Ab- continuously. Absolutely. But look, the youngest voters aren't supporting the youngest candidates. The, the, right. the, maybe identity politics, as when the rubber reads the road, is dramatically overestimated because this cycle mm. seems to defy that logic that gets used by the right to demonize the left all the time. That's so interesting. Anything else, Harry? Uh, the the only other thing that I, I will add to this is that it's still a diverse field insofar as, you know, you have you had two women on the debate stage last uh, on, on Tuesday night. You had uh, a gay American on the debate stage and mm-hmm. you had a Jewish American on the debate stage. You had a Catholic um, in Joe Biden, who could be the only the second Catholic president of all time. So there is diversity. It's just not racial diversity as much. That would, interesting. That is interesting. All right. That's a wrap for us today. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Please make sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, please feel free to leave a comment. And you can always, in the meantime, find us on Twitter. I'm at Kate Baldwin. I'm at John Avalon. At Forecaster Fenton on your Twitter and Instagram dial, but I don't actually Instagram. Because it's all about his dog. Just uh, it's not. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not I won. No, I, I don't have my he dog. Didn't I, I just, he didn't, he didn't even try. try today. I, it's not even my dog. That's Zip the picture. It. Special thanks to the team behind the scenes: <laughs> Amy Eason, Lauren Moore, Raj Makija, and David Toledo. We'll see you next time for another episode of the Forecast Fest. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.